For those of you who are new, we've been going through this, not series, but our theme is placing Christ center in our life. Because if you're a believer, if you really want to make your life work, there's only one way to do it. And that's if you put Jesus Christ center of your life. That you remove yourself from the center, that you take yourself off of the throne, and that you put Jesus there. That's the only way it works. And so for the past month, we've been talking about why it's so important to place Jesus at the center of your lives. It's so important for you to do that. And so now we're starting to get into the more practical aspects of putting Jesus in our lives. And as you can see by the video that, um, you know, we're talking about work and that, you know, more than half of your time is spent at work. So we're going to um, have a two-day, uh, two-Sunday series on what it means to put Jesus at, at the center of your workplace. I know we've talked about this before, but one of the things that we all realize is that as soon as you leave this place, as soon as I leave this place, we kind of forget what I say. And so what we want to constantly reinforce it. And we're going to be talking about later what it means to make Christ the center of your marriage. What does it mean to make Christ the center of your family? What does it mean, uh, mean to make Christ the center of your relationships? And so forth. But today... We're going to be starting on what it means to place Christ in the center of your workplace. Now, some of you here might not be believers, and this is your first time at church, and that's okay. That's okay. You know, some of these principles, a lot of these principles will transfer over to you. And so, um, you know, I advise that you would, you know, listen to these too, because whether you're a believer or not, these principles, I believe, will make you successful in your workplace. And so, if you could show the first slide. We were created for, to work. Next one. Okay, do you have the uh, picture of uh, Wally? Now, remember a while back, uh, Disney Pixar came up with this movie called Wally. And basically, the theme of this movie was that the humans had totally polluted the earth, so much that they had to leave earth, that earth was no longer livable. So they all got into spaceships and they left earth to find a more suitable place to live. But they left this guy, Wally. Wally was the last of the robots who was programmed to clean up our planet. So every day he would go around picking up trash. He'd put it inside him and he would compact it and then he would pile it up and you would just see piles and piles and piles of garbage. And that's what he was programmed to do. Next one. However, there was a, uh, he, Wally falls in love with a robot, Eva, who is scouting the galaxy looking for an habitable place for humans to lie, live. So once again, she's looking for greenery or any signs that humans could live in. Here, Wally's showing her a boot. He has no idea what he's looking for, but this is like offering her a box of chocolates or something for Valentine's Day, showing that, oh, I'm in love with you. Um, next one. Then she takes him 
to the spaceship, uh, spaceship where the humans are residing. And what does Wally encounter? He encounters humans that are sitting on these chairs. They never get out of these chairs. All of their needs are fulfilled by robots. And they have their plasma, whatever, TVs in front of them. And they're always in front of them watching whatever movie, watching whatever entertainment they want to see. And whenever they want something, a robot would come and they give them their what? Those protein shakes. And so pretty much life was easy for them. And so some of us, when we think about work, when we think about what our life should be, we think about, hey, this is the way our life should be, right? should be nice. It should be easy. You know, we should have all of our needs met. But unfortunately, that's not the way that we are supposed to live. That's not the way God created, um, created us to live. But sometimes we view life, or even our workplace, that it should be like that. And so if you go to the next slide, it says, we were created to work. How many of you believe that? We were created to work. I'll see a lot of you have that, oh my goodness, look on my face. Are you telling me that the God, the all-knowing God, the all-wise God, the omniscient wise created us to work? We were all created by God to work. Just like Wally was designed and programmed to work, to clean up the garbage, we were designed and we were programmed to work. So if you go to the first next slide here, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the very first line in the Bible, the very first line of the most sacred book that we know, the most important book that was ever written. And it starts off with what? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. It tells us that God went to work. The very first line says, God created the heavens and the earth. The next one says, Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that he may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So first thing we see is that we were made in the image of God. So if we were made in the image of God, what does that mean? That means that we were created with some of the characteristics of God. Not all of them, meaning we're not omnipotent. None of us are all powerful. None of us are omniscient, that we know all things, even though we may think we're omniscient. We don't know all things, or we're not omnipresent, mean we're not everywhere at the same time. But we do bear characteristics of God, and one of them is the ability to work and to create. How many of you are students? Raise your hand. Students, students. Well, you know what? That's your work. God designed you at this point in your life to work. Right? And you're saying, oh, man, no way, no way. Yes, that's your work right now. At this stage in your life, this is your work. You know, some of you have a job where you get paid, you know, a certain wage. Well, that's your work. Some of you might be a stay-home mom or stay-home dad. Some of you might be a homemaker. And some of you might be 
retired. But either way, this is your work. And this is, we were all created to work, okay? And this is just my two cents here, right? Things have changed. Where it used to be where women, you, the, the husband used to work and the women used to what? Stay home and take care of the children or just stay home and take care of the house and home. But like I said, things have changed, right? Husbands, dads, men, we have to realize that things have changed, okay? And we need to help. We need to help around the house. We cannot just rely on our spouse to work because it's like, okay, our spouse is taking care of the children. As soon as we come home, what do we do? We want to watch the TV. Well, they've been watching the kids for you know, eight hours, too. That's their job. They need a break. Or maybe your, your spouse has been taking care of the house. That's work also. And it's even worse if the wife is working, right? And so if your wife is working and then we come home as men thinking that, okay, well, my job is to just go and watch TV because I put a hard day's work. Well, so did our wives, okay? So men, what we need to do is we need to understand that and we need to help out around the house. Okay, that's important. And we're going to be talking about that when it comes to placing God in the center of our marriage and our family, but I just wanted to put that in right now. um, So I know some of you men probably are going to ditch those uh, (laughs) sessions, um, but it's important. But it says we were created to work, and it really doesn't make any difference whether we get paid or not. We are all, God created us all to work, and we all have a vocation. And then it says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden to what? Admire it? To smell the roses? No, he said he put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. Once again, we were created to work. But what did God say at the, when he rest, at the end of the sixth day when he created man and created men to work? He said it was good. It was good. How many of you believe that work is good? How many believe that going to work, you know, Monday, whatever you do, Whatever you do, how many of you believe it was good? Or do you believe oh, it's a curse? It's not good. All right? God said it was good. God said it was good. What happened? Well, we know that when Adam sinned, God cursed the ground and said that man would have to toil and work by the sweat of his brow. Because of sin, God made work difficult. Right. That's why we don't think um, work is something that's good. That's why we don't associate work, as we're going to see later, as an act of worship. Why? Because we see work as a result of the fall. It became difficult because of the fall. You know, sin also affected work because it made it an idol. You know, it made it a place where we can accumulate wealth. You know, it made it a place where we get our self-esteem. And all of us who've been in the workplace know there are certain professions that are more esteemed than others, right? It's a place where we get esteemed. Workaholism has shifted our priorities away from that which is important. You know, we're working, 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 and it's shifting our priorities away from something that is important. 
right? Because of sin, it distorted what God said was good in the workplace. And I want to thank Chet for this article, but he gave me this article or, you know, about Steve Jobs. Okay, Steve Jobs is the um, owner of Apple, and I've, I've read this, I think, two weeks ago, but he, he said this on his deathbed. He says, I've come to the pinnacle of success in business and in the eyes of others. My life has been a symbol of success. You think? You know, Steve Jobs, my life has been a symbol of success. However, apart from work, I have little joy. Finally, my wealth is simply a fact to which I am accustomed. Imagine that. His wealth, his billions is just something that he's just been accustomed to. He says, at this time, lying in a hospital bed and remembering all my life, I realized that all the accolades and riches of which I was once so proud have become insignificant with my imminent death. Only now do I understand that once you accumulate enough money for the rest of your life, you have to pursue objectives that are not related to wealth. It should be something more important. For example, stories of love, art, dreams of my childhood. No, stop pursuing wealth. It can only make a person into a twisted being like me. God has made us one way. We can feel the love in the heart of each of us and not an illusion built by fame or money. He calls, uh, he calls fame and money an illusion like I made of my life. I cannot take them with me. I can only take the memories that were strengthened by love. This is the true wealth that will follow you, will accompany you. Love can travel a thousands of miles, so life has no, love has no limits. Material things can be lost. Excuse me, material things lost can be found, but one thing that you can never uh, fi- lose, find when you lose is your life. Whatever stage of life where we are right now, at the end, we will all have to face the day when the curtain falls. It says, please treasure your family, love your spouse, love your friends. Now, I don't know if Steve Jobs ever came to know Jesus, but here's a man who valued wealth. Here's a man who's valued the distorted view of work. One of the richest men in the world, the richest men in the world, he found no meaning because he had the wrong vision for work. And many of us have the wrong vision of work, and it's called dualism. And basically, dualism is just a fancy word for meaning splitting something that was never meant to be split or divided. And what we do is we split our work life with our uh, spiritual life. Those things were never meant to be divided, but we divided them. So the first thing we see is we want to take a look at, so what is the biblical paradigm for work? Number one, our work is an act of worship. Our work is an act of worship, like the video said. And basically, worship is just giving God the glory he deserves. In um, 
Romans 12, 1, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and prosper worship. Worship isn't something that we just do on Sunday. Worship is something that we engage in on Monday through Saturday by how we choose to live our life. Life is worship. We worship the Lord, we glorify God by the way we work. You know, one of my first jobs was when I was in college, you know, and I had bills to pay, and I got a job at an appliance store, and I was delivering appliances. But one thing that I understood that, you know, work was a part of the way I worship God, so I had to do my best at it. You know, even when my boss would tell me, You know, Dave, I want you to deliver this refrigerator by yourself to a second story in an apartment. And so I had to do that. And fortunately, it was a smaller refrigerator. But what he forgot to tell me was the one that I was replacing was this monster. And I had to strap this thing up and take it out and take it down one flight of stairs by myself. You know, I can't tell you how many times I almost dropped one of those things and just let them slide down. But, you know, I said, you know what? My, this work is an act of worship. It reflects my faith. I have to do my best. And even when I couldn't complete the job, right, even when I couldn't complete the job, I would go back and I would punch out and I would take some tools with me and go back out and complete the job. Why? Because the customer wanted the job completed. And I, I said, you know what? I didn't want to have my boss pay for it, right? Because a lot of times I was new. And, I, you know, actually when I did that, I was new. And I really didn't know what I was doing. So jobs took a little bit longer. But I didn't want to have him to pay it for it. So I would just punch in off the clock and go back. You know, I, wa- I believe that work was worship. That was like about 40 years ago. And um, several weeks ago, I performed his memorial service. That somehow 40 years ago, he remembered me. And somehow he knew that I was a pastor. And somehow I hope that I made a difference in that workplace because of the way I viewed work. But 40 years later, he asked me to do his memorial service. Why? Because I saw work as a worship. But on the flip side, and I've shared this with you before, I wasn't perfect at work. You know, my first job out of college was um, at an airline where I became the director of marketing. I was this young and cocky kid who thought I was the smartest and that I was going to move up and I was going to be the president, right? I had a big old office and everything. And I said, man, this is a great way to start my career. Fortunately, I was cocky and dumb. You know, I dated a subordinate. And you know, at work, you are not allowed to date people that you supervise. But I thought, no, I'm the director of marketing. You know, I'm above the law, right? And then it just went downhill from that, and it turned out badly, and they demoted me. They demoted me. Um, and, but you know what's the worst thing about that? The worst thing about that is they knew I was a believer. 
did was work my worship? Did I do the best I could there? Did I glorify God there by the way I worked, by the way I acted? And I have to say, no, I didn't. I did the opposite of that. And I felt so bad. Then I went to Continental, and I said, you know what, God, okay, I'm going to learn from my mistake. I'm going to view work as worship, and I'm going to do my best to try to reflect your glory in the way I work. So much so that when I left Continental, all of my peers, especially one of my friends who was an, um, an atheist, you know, said, I'm th- I, you're throwing your life away by going into the ministry. But I could see you do that. I could see you do that. You know, at my other job, if I would tell them I was going to the ministry, they said, no way. You know, I'd never go to your church, you know, if, if guys like you are going into the ministry. Why? Because I didn't glorify God by the way I worked. I didn't. So none of us are perfect. So I hope you guys can learn from, you know, my mistake. Uh, the second one is that our work is anointed by God. Did you know that your work is anointed? And the word anointed just means set apart. And we're going to look, go to Exodus 31, 1 through 3. And this is what they also said. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills. To do what? It says, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and engage in all kinds of crafts. Then let's go to verse 6. It says, moreover, I have appointed Aholiab to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. When we think someone's anointed, who do you think of? You think of pastors. You think of missionaries. You think of professional people are the ones that are set apart. Here we clearly see that God separates everyone. He anointed these people to what? Create objects for the church. This wasn't the, uh, you know, thank God he didn't appoint me to do this. You know, I'm horrible at fixing things. I'm like Bill Cosby. I'll try to fix things, and then I have to call a guy because I mess it up so much that I end up paying more than I would by saving it by doing myself. So I know God has not anointed me to do this kind of stuff, right? But what what does it show? Pastors, you know, full-time missionaries, we are not the only ones that are anointed. God anoints people to do work that he wants done. Therefore, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are anointed. Each one of you are anointed just like me. You are set apart to do the work God has called you to do, and he's given you the skills to do that. You have to see that you are separate to... God separated you to bring him glory in your workplace. So let me ask you these three questions. What do your coworkers think of you? 
What does your family or what does your spouse think of you? What do your friends who you serve with on projects or different organizations, if you're retired, think of you? Do they see someone who has been set apart by God to do the work that he commanded them to do? Do they see you as somebody who's set apart, that God has placed you there, has set you apart to do his work, to bring him glory? Do your coworkers seen that? Last point, God has designed you for your vocation. God has designed you for your vocation. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God has gifted you with skills. God has gifted you with passions. God has given you um, dreams for the purposes of your vocation. For those of you who are students, right, you know what subjects you're strong in and what subjects you're not. Now, some of you might be gifted and you're strong in all of your subjects. But some of your subjects, your classes, what? You like more than others. And it could be the teacher or it could be just because this is what God created you to be. Right? God has created each one of you with certain gifts and certain talents and certain passions. Right? You know, one of the things I love to do, and sorry I didn't ask for your permission, but I love to get together with Cliff Rapp. And Chris, Rapp, Chris Rapp, gosh, we're, me and Mark were just misnaming everybody today. There is a Cliff Rapp, and he's a pastor at another church. But Chris Rapp is here. And um, we get together, and I love it because we talk about science. You know, we talk about how the universe works. And I love to bounce questions out, you know, ask him stuff because, man, the guy is so smart. And I love watching that on TV, but my brain is not smart enough or capable to understand what I'm hearing or listening. So I know that God has not gifted me to be a theoretical physicist. Even though that stuff is, uh, you know, to me, fascinating, he did not create me to do that, right? God created you with certain gifts and passions. We are all unique, and we all have been set apart to impact our workplaces in a way that's unique to you. And like I said, workplace doesn't necessarily mean where you're earning a wage, you know, whether you're a stay-at-home mom. I mean, one of the worst things and the hardest things about being a stay-at-home mom is, number one, is when you take about your, think about your uniqueness and your giftedness, you compare yourselves to other moms, right, and how they're raising their kids or how their kids are turning out. And if um, your kids aren't turning out the way that you think, they go, oh, what am I doing wrong? How come that mom looks to, you know, she seems to be this perfect mom, Right? Well, God doesn't want you to raise your children like so-and-so. If he did, he would have given you to them, right? Or them to you. God has given you unique skills. God has given you unique passions. God has given you unique experiences that he has set you apart to live out your vocation, whether it's in a paid job, whether it's at home, right? You are the happiest 
when you live the life that God created you to live. Why? By living out your passions. And like I said, it, it does get distorted because a lot of times we, we value compensation over what God called us to do. But once again, you'll only find fulfillment in living out a vocation where you're able to use God's gifts for you and experiences. You know, and like I shared with you before about, you know, that one of the missionaries we met, Tara, and, uh, you know, young woman who's over at Thailand right now, um, uh, the kind of like overseeing and running this uh, orphanage. You know, when she was here stateside, she was a bus driver. You know, she worked in a construction company. Um, she worked in a child um, counseling center. And her experiences seemed so random until right now, um, leading an orphanage in Thailand. She's seeing all of these skills, all of these experiences come together. Well, she didn't see the big picture, but God did. So you might be going through some random stuff right now where you don't see, where you can't connect the dots, but God could see that big picture. And God is preparing you for something. And yes, work is difficult because of... And I'm going to close with this. It says, Admiral Stockdale, now he was a Vietnam POW, a prisoner of war. And they asked him, what was the difference between the prisoners who lost hope, gave up, and didn't make it, and those prisoners who endured torturous existence and made it through? And he said it was simple. He said, those who survived had a hope of realism, a hopeful realism, and those who didn't were just idealistic. And what he says is idealistic prisoners believe that they would come home for Christmas, that they would come home for Christmas. And so what happens was Christmas would come and Christmas was, would go, and they were still stuck in prison. Eventually, they lost hope and they gave up. But, he said, there were those who had a realistic um, optimism and what they did is they believed and they prepared themselves for a, a, a hardship, for a long endured hardship in the prison camps. But they believed that one day they would be triumphant and that they would return home. And that's the same thing for us. Yes, work is hard, but if we have this idealistic realism where we believe that, okay, work is going to be hard you know, in the long haul, and I'm going to prepare myself for that. I'm going to prepare myself that it's going to be hard. The Bible says it's going to be hard, but that one day, through Jesus Christ, we're going to be triumphant. We're going to be triumphant. And that God is going to be triumphant in this workplace, in my workplace, if I let him. Then that makes all the difference in the world as we view work. So if you go to the weekly challenge, what do we do? I'd like us to do this. We can meditate on Romans 12.1 and Psalms 139, 13 to 14 twice a day. 
And then how might you do your work as a God-honoring act of worship? How, you know, as you go to work, as you take care of your kids, as you take care of your home, as you are a student, how might you do your work as a God-honoring act of worship? Then how has God designed and gifted you for work? And those are, what are the things I want you to think about next week. And then next week, what we're going to talk about are more practical things that you could do in the workplace in order to um, glorify God. And I'll be sharing with things that I've learned in my workplace. So would you please join me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you so much that you've given us the opportunity to live out our design in an area where we spend so much time. And Father, I know that our view of work has been distorted by sin. Where, Lord, many times we don't see it as good, but we see our work as drudgery. For Father, I pray for each person here that you would change their paradigm, that you would change the way that they think about their work, that, Father, that you have set them apart to do your work in the areas where they see as a vocation. Father, that you have called them to worship you, not just today, but you've called them to worship you by the way they live out their lives in the places where they call their vocation. And so, Father, I pray that this week will be a good week for us, that it could be a start of having a renewed spirit, a start of taking steps to finally finding that fulfillment in our vocation, the fulfillment that many of us lack. But, Father, that you promised that we could have if we trust in you. So thank you so much, Father, for not leaving us where we're at, but giving us the ability to be triumphant at work, not based upon our skills and our ability, but based upon your ability to transform each and every one of our hearts. In your son's name we pray, amen.